Welcome to Biohackers Lab, a place where we talk to smart people who are figuring out how to improve health in interesting ways. Join us to discover how you can biohack your life, your body, starting today. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Biohackers Lab. I'm your host, Gary Kerwin, and on today's episode, I have Kevin Kennedy. Kevin is a founder of a Irish dairy startup company based in Cork, Ireland, and this is a company that is producing the world's first natural vitamin K2 organic butter. Thanks for coming on, Kevin. Thanks very much for having me, Gary. My pleasure. So we've got to start. Um, we're going to get into the whole world of butter, which I love, and the benefits of vitamin K2, which we'll explain in a bit. But I think the best thing to start off with is your company, A New Dairy. Um, could you just explain the story behind the, the startup? Sure. So I, I would have uh, started off in the health and fitness movement about 2007. I was living in China doing Kung Fu and I got involved in, in the CrossFit movement back then. Um, and I came back to Ireland and I started uh, a gym here in 2009 doing teaching crossfit and hand in hand with that was the paleo movement and and that whole concept around saturated fat cannot give you a heart attack uh, we have we've looked at the the dietary shift or the dietary you know guidelines they're probably wrong and they're creating a lot of problems so i mean over the years i attended seminars especially in the u.s um about what was happening in food uh, and then I kind of got to a point where I felt like I wanted to step up what I was doing from day to day, working with people within the gym, which is a great job. And I still do it. I still coach every morning uh, to communicating the message on a more global scale. And the way that I felt that that could possibly be achieved best was if we had a food brand. Because one thing you always hear is food companies and big food. Big food is the is the people who are setting the agenda. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've, you know, over the years, you're always playing around what's the best way to connect with the general public. And I realized I just have to be big food. Big food is the answer. So become a big food company. So I went away and looked at what was involved in, in getting into the dairy scene, what was where the niches were. And obviously, I knew about K2 from the Western A. Price Foundation and their talk on, on with Dr. Price's work um, and healthy pastures. Uh, and I knew that we had a lot of that here in Ireland. So it was just a matter of going out there, researching it and um, seeing that we had a, there was a, a viable product there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then raising the raising a bit of finance to get started, uh, and, and we did it. Fantastic! And so, when when exactly did your dairy start up? What year? We started. Yeah, this time like twelve months ago. Oh, fantastic! And uh, how's the journey been so far? Brilliant! It's been yeah. a it's been, <laughs> yeah, it's been very. So we started through um, an, an accelerator, as a like a bio accelerator called Rebel Bio, and that's run by Sean O'Sullivan Ventures out of the US and Ireland. Uh, and they have a, what they call accelerators, so they're ninety-day programs, and they run to they run one in China, some in the U.S., and these are spread across hardware, software, life sciences, and food. And we're in a life sciences kind of biotech-based one. So we started off actually doing a probiotic to assist cows in bringing up levels of K2, and that was how we got onto the program. Um, and they fund us; they've they've a hundred thousand dollar investment into the company, and they take an equity stake for that. Um, and we worked initially on our probiotic with an organic farmer. Uh, and I would say that we had okay results, but there was uh, certainly some issues that were going to be hard to overcome. So we, we we stepped away from the probiotic, focused more on our grassland, which we were getting results with, uh, and have kind of gone down that route. So a little bit of a change in where we're doing it. But that's how we, we got started 12 months ago. 
Wow, fantastic. I love that. So yeah, that is, it's kind of like a Silicon Valley startup story, but uh, for food in Ireland, I like it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah their, their big food was in New York. So they've got a, a thing called Foodex and they run two intakes of that in New York City. They were hoping to start one in Cork, but it didn't off unfortunately okay well i'm glad you, i'm glad you managed to get <laughs> seed inv- investments and uh you know be able to start producing awesome butter so, um so that's fascinating yeah that you started with the probiotic and then you've gone into the grassland but uh, before we get into that uh, a new is is there a meaning to that is it an irish word yeah it's a, it's an irish goddess so anu is uh the mother goddess of an irish mythological tribe called the tooth of Daydanon, and she stands for nourishment and fertility Oh, nice. it, okay. so it, it, it'd be if you're european like she's that goddess name spans a lot of europe so danu is the other way that's known so anywhere danu and then you've like the river danube in germany would be quite yeah similar. that's, that's why i thought of that heritage. name yeah yeah that's the same heritage all right okay that's so nice. it spans across those celtic myths <laughs> oh fin- cool um all right so I guess we're going to have to jump into butter now. So you, you said you yeah. started off with probiotic and you were doing that to help cows to produce more vitamin K2. So I'm, you know, I, I introduced you with um, saying that you're, you're part of the world's first company to produce this type of butter. Are, are you really the f- world's first company to, pr- to, to produce, um, is it, I guess, both organic, natural vitamin K2? So, um, like good grass-fed butter has K two in it. Okay. To a certain degree, we just have developed systems to to give us a really high level of K two. So, any cow that's been out on grass is always going to be a small amount of MK four, mm-hmm. um, and there may be some of the bacteria produced other MKs in the butter. Um, so, just to so, explain to people listening who might not have sure. a clue what you just said there, so MK <laughs> MK is is a chemical format of vitamin K. So you get different types of. Uh, yeah, we're going. That's like the chemistry of vitamin K, and it's you get MK and then numbers, but it's the MK four that's important because that's vitamin K two, is it? There are all, yeah. So there's so yeah. Look, we'll just do a quick recap on vitamin K. There's two types of vitamin K. There's philoquinone, which is your the plant based vitamin K, and that's in spinach and kale, and that most people are familiar with. Um, that's called philoquinone, and that and again it it. It's called vitamin K because of the coagulation effects. So it's working on that coagulation pathway. So philoquinone will work on coagulation. And then the other side of vitamin K is an, animally, an animal-produced one, which is all of the MK family, which goes from 4 to 12. Um, and this is just a side chain. There's a, there's a, a small um, molecule on the side, of, a branch chain, if you can imagine, there's small pieces added on. Um, and every number adds on another piece. So the MKs... There's aminoquinones, they go from 4 to 12, and they're only animals, they're produced by animals and bacteria. So, MK4 is the one that you would normally have in your own tissues. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's used up quite fast in the body. And then 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 are produced by bacteria. Um, and, and different bacteria produce different ones in different ranges. Um, and they'll, they'll also come up in dairy, and then they use them, these MKs, in fermenting soybean. So, you're typically natto. Mm-hmm. And if you're getting, if you're buying an MK, a vitamin K supplement, then that's an MK seven, uh, seven that has seven of those molecules on the side, um, and that's uh, that's from a, a bacteria called Bacillus subtilis, and that's what's in your supplements when you're buying those. But MK four is the animal form. If you were to eat um, an or a liver or a eggs, 
So and in dairy we we have MK4. So MK4 is the one that we mostly are concerned with. Yeah, and that's the one um, you you were mentioning earlier that you're a fan of the paleo movement, and I'm sure you know all the big names. And one of them, when I was doing my research with vitamin K, was Chris Masterjohn, and yep. uh, yeah, and he was talking about the differences between all of the MKs and saying how yeah MK4 has some special benefits, and that's exactly what your butter is helping. Yeah, so we're focusing on finding the levels, the highest levels of MK4. That's what we work on. Okay. So just when you were talking levels then, uh, what kind of levels are we talking about? Um, because with vitamin K, the measurement was, uh, I don't know what the U stands for, like UG is what I saw. With, um, yeah, Chris, micrograms. Chris, okay. Micrograms, yeah. So, um, so yeah, we, do you have any levels that you could share? Uh, like we have 54 micrograms per, per uh, 100 grams within our butter. And that's the... Um, if you were to buy, I suppose, standard, um, the other conventional standard, high quality Irish butters could be about 250. So we have just over twice what they would have, double the amount they would have. If you go to a, and it's very hard to find this measurement for conventional, um, indoor fed cattle, which would be your, your typical white butters that most people in the U S or in Europe are familiar with, they'd be much lower. Um, they could be down, as far as I know, as low as um, possibly seven micrograms. But it's hard to say because I haven't seen anybody doing an exact test on that. Mm. That's what's quoted, I think, in the USDA literature. I think it's quoted at seven, or maybe yeah. 11, seven or 11, I think. Yeah. So so 25 would be um, a very high quality grass here. And then ours is 54. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah that, you've definitely ramped it up, and that's why you say you've got the high. Yeah, that's high. That's a great yeah, level. Yeah, it's been, it's been, it, yeah, it's fun. It's good to get that. You have to as well for a food claim. So we say uniquely rich, and you know, we're into food l- labeling terminology here in, in Ireland or in Europe. To say that claim uniquely rich, you have to be thirty percent above. So we have to make sure that we were, we had a good, a good jump up. Okay, fantastic. So, um, yeah, what are some of the benefits then of having high levels of K two? So the study, it's really, it's calcium is what we want to talk about when we talk about vitamin K2 and its action is in, is in activating. And that's why it was called an activator in the Western A price work. It activates um, an enzyme and that, that when that enzyme then acts upon a protein, which will pick up calcium. So in the, in the, it's called matrix GLA protein in the blood. And when we specifically talk about it in the arterial wall, and then it also activates a protein in the bones called osteocalcin, and osteocalcin is responsible for depositing calcium. So it's picking it up, floating around in soft tissue, um, and it's depositing it in the bone. And that's, that's what, and that's what I always hear with vitamin K two that you want K two because it's putting calcium in the right places. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, and it's so. And the only thing that will do that is the aminoquinones. The phylloquinones have no action on that pathway. They don't work in that pathway. Mm-hmm. Um, so from a sciencey kind of a sciencey talk, and I, I like saying it because it sounds it always sounds interesting. It does a, the, um, the the molecule does a post translational modification of an enzyme. <laughs> wow, that, that is sciencey, doesn't it? Uh, it sounds great. And, and the thing is that it, like post translational modifications aren't very common. They're actually quite rare in the body. So usually when an enzyme is made, it's made to do its job. So it's rare to get an enzyme to come out, and that needs to be further modified. So that's one of the cool things about aminoquinones and vitamin k2s is that they they modify that enzyme okay wow so well so then you, so then you you can check to see if the well, when you're measuring it you 
there's, a, there's an ELISA that has been developed in the Netherlands. Um, and we're hoping to do a test run now in September, small intervention study, looking at levels of the protein in the blood, the matrix GLA, and to see whether it's been carboxylated. Okay. Yeah, because that's also what I read is um, there are no sort of uh, commercial tests available to test someone's vitamin K levels in their blood, are there? Not really, no. They're actually hard to do. Um, so we will work with the Vita-K lab in the Netherlands. And Vita-K lab has been run by some of the professors out of the University of Maastricht. Okay. And they have a really big vitamin K research facility over there. So they, went, they developed their own ELISA, patented it, I think, and set up a separate company to do all these tests. So there's a carboxylation process that happens to kind of get sciencey again, which is after that enzyme has been modified, it's carboxylating the, the uh, proteins. So uh, the enzyme is, is doing that carboxylation. It's really interesting. So mm-hmm. that's what we look at, whether it's been a, whether the protein is carboxylated or um, uncarboxylated. And we can kind of see which way that protein, what, what state that protein exists in. So we will be feeding people butter, as strenuous as that is, <laughs> giving them lots of free butter, asking them to eat it. Um, and then taking a blood measurement beforehand and taking a blood measurement afterwards and see do we have a, a change in uncarboxylated protein. Okay, that's very cool. So, yeah, you're using food as a as a chemical and then you're checking to see what it does to people's bodies. And Yeah. Yeah, yeah and hopefully messing up some, people, some people's ideology along the way where we try and tell them that fat is good for their health, you know? Yeah. And good, for a, their heart, and good for their heart. So I'm guessing you've put butter in your coffee before, have you? Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> yeah, and I do, and you know, it's funny. I really, really, really like my coffee, so I don't actually do it that often. Uh, I yeah, because it, it changes the taste of the coffee. Yeah, it makes it nice and creamy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I just I spent time making sure I got really good coffee. So um, it was been a hard one actually. It was a little bit strange, but I got used to it. So I would do it now and again. Yeah, for sure. Okay, yeah, because that's actually I found if I have just milk and coffee, um, I don't feel so great. But if I have butter and coffee, it's it, it's so if I have to have coffee now, it's either black, a good high quality bean um, that I've just ground on the day, or with butter because I find I feel the best in either of those two personally. So yeah, I, I go through a ton of butter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So do you think? Um, yeah, how how much butter do you think people? Sh- should consume because i um i loved it that recently uh one of the big food brand names they noticed a big drop in uh, margarine sales because butter was on them on the up and then because of that they were saying oh historically you know people used to eat a ton of butter compared to what they did nowadays and they had less health problems back then when they ate more butter i mean i suppose i mean i certainly eat probably about 50 grams of butter a day at least if not more i would think i could probably eat up on 60 to 70 grams um typically uh, and, and i would is there an upper limit i don't think so <laughs> <laughs> no i don't it's a, I don't, it's a biased answer right it's a biased answer i tried to sell butter so <laughs> <laughs> yeah but no it's uh i think yeah if you enjoy butter and like you said uh yeah the saturated fat causing heart disease that's uh i'm glad that uh concept now is, is definitely being put a lot more to rest you know through through the science and all the the uh the doctors who are coming out and, t- and talking about it so it's um yeah yeah, especially. Like Uni, I suppose you Unilever are, are putting their spreads division up for sale. So, like Unilever, who make Flora, um, Proactive, and all these other veg, seed oil spreads, th- their sales have been slipping. They still do two point five billion of t- revenue, 
every year. Mm-hmm. But they're putting their spreads division up for sale for seven point five billion. They're trying to get rid of it. And are um, they, and so are they still going heavy into the butter? I don't I don't think they they have some floor with butters. They, they add bits of butter in. Yeah. But as a as a model, they know that that the margarine and seed oil business is is starting to lose lose ground. And mm-hmm. certainly, some of the major players in Ireland are also seeing that. Who people who are invested into seed oils are seeing sales slip, and they are looking for new options in the butter world. Yeah, and I'm so glad because, but <laughs> you know, why why go for a, a, an alternative? Just eat the real stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot more of the seed oil industry research like there's some great people out there doing work on the seed oils you know the the, the toxic levels or toxic associations with seed oils um everything from oxid like easier oxidation of the, of the of the actual product and the further implications to do with oxidized polyunsaturated fats in respect to, to heart disease and then even things like endotoxemia so there's a lot to do with um, with seed oils. And so we're basically talking about how margarine was originally highlighted as being healthy for your heart, but now the research is coming out and saying, well, maybe actually not. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, I think so. I think that the, the that was all based on the cholesterol ideology that, yeah. that the total cholesterol number was of use to some people. Uh, <laughs> yeah yeah and that, i think that was the big thing is just saying oh look we, in some people we can see the ldl which is which has got a, a name as bad cholesterol even though it's not but that sure. that would drop in some people and then therefore that's why you want to eat this versus real butter but now yeah it's come around again where i love it that natural has has won the day again and said no actually this stuff is really good for you <laughs> and this is i think the thing with the paleo movement that was a challenge that's always strikes me as strange is that i'm just telling people to eat real food so even in the gym sometimes i don't always say the word paleo i just say look eat real food mm. and you can kind of feel like you're a bit crazy because <laughs> i'm here telling people look just eat what's natural and local and real and you can be healthy and they're like no 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 like you can't be right you must eat processed crap kev and I'm, oh, no. <laughs> yeah what's <laughs> wrong with people <laughs> i had a great interview with um orthopedic surgeon dr gary fecky exactly about that where it, it's it it's, it seems so strange when you just prescribe real food like just eat the real stuff you don't have to eat processed uh food food products because actually the real stuff is the most healthy for you it is yeah it's always a battle of who can shout loudest um, and i'm sure like some of your other your other guests have said this to you, but I think, mm. you know, the way it's always what they say to the clients, the butcher, the local butcher does not have the power of Kellogg's mm. to communicate a message to create value. Um, neither can just does your local vegetable grower. And because they're so small and so, you know, and the big boys have so much money, it's just a money win. Money does talk really. That is, I think. And how are you finding it then entering the a competitive field like butter in ireland because yeah you're up against a, some big brand names over there they don't even see us <laughs> <laughs> it's a question of scale um when we when we're producing butter gary what we would produce in a year would probably go through one of their machines in an hour <laughs> yeah i can imagine yeah and like it's just it literally is scale and um, there's nine butter plants in ireland each plant can, can produce about ten thousand butters an hour ten thousand kilos of butter an hour so um that's just phenomenal so is butter a, a massive industry in ireland like from a manu- food manufacturing point compared to oh, other countries yeah. huge huge 
it's massive. We put out 140,000 tons of, of butter a year is exported. Um, it, it is a true commodity here. It really is a commodity. And if you're talking to investors, they always see what, like they ask me about commodity prices and we're in the commodity scene. And they were like, we're not in that space. We're just a small artisan producer doing something very different. Mm-hmm. But they only see the commodity section of things. So it's traded internationally, you know, from 2,000 to 6,000 a ton, depending on where you are. Uh, or what the, what the market is very strong at the minute for butter. So butter is going quite well. Uh, but our output is colossal. You know, like we have four of the major baby food manufacturers based in Ireland globally. Wow. I think we're the fifth largest, I think, ex- global exporter of dairy product. Yeah. So in, the, in the world, that's, that's, that's good for a country of the size that we are. <laughs> yeah, very good. And. Yeah. And because Irish butter is always sought after because you're, we're going to get now into how you um, actually treat the cows. So they, because you have a lot of grass in Ireland. Yep. Because <laughs> we have a lot of rain. Yes. <laughs> we have a lot of rain. <laughs> At least you've got a lot of ar- arable land that the cows can actually range on, you know, they can herd over and that. So, um, yes. But now I guess this is where you're special because you mentioned earlier that you were using a probiotic to raise K2 levels, but then you were playing with grass and is that is that you've got a little secret and how you uh, treat your cows to get your k2 levels up using grass yeah the the secrets are always going to be in the grass what's like sorry the grass does an amazing job we we were kind of from the biotech perspective to get onto the accelerator the probiotic had a lot of benefits and that it was from a scaling perspective it was easy to do um and we looked we thought we could accelerate um uh, production but when you go back to the soil level of things a super healthy soil so quite a lot of mineral density in your soil um, a mixed diversity um, sward species on the ground so it's a lot of different types of grasses uh, and a lot of dark leafy grasses um, and then there's this, there's a little bit to do with with once a day milking and twice a day milking of the cow so once a day milking helps a lot um, some genetics in there as well uh, but i think what we are focusing on now because we can tie the the soil health back into carbon sequestration and you know, we can look at root zone depth um, and then that's tying back into a food benefit we decided to put to park the probiotic because one of well probiotics are quite expensive to make um, but the story becomes really a lot more, like it's a lot more interesting when you're talking about mixed swords you're talking about flowering grasses you're talking about bumblebees and carbon going into soil and I'm like okay this is where I want to be yeah so well, again, this is what we're going to work on. And that's what I love is that when you found again that you just uh, – it's how you treat the soil and the grasses. And, again, if you can if you, if, if you can help Mother Nature do what she wants to do, you, she actually helps you produce a, a, a better product versus you having to bring in a synthetic or, you know, a, a man-made probiotic to try bump up the cows. You can actually just play with their soil uh, – in a natural way and it actually gets them to produce a good product it, yeah yeah it, as, as crazy as this sounds gary we have very little understanding of what's happening in the soil and we kind of walked away from it and nearly took a an approach of supplementing it's like being it's like me just feeding my clients supplements you know um, what's the name of that uh, supplement that you can buy that all oh, your food in a drink is that called see what's uh, some guy Oh, I know the one you're talking about. That's meant to give you everything in one. Everything. What? Yeah. Yeah. I know the one you're talking about. Yeah. Okay. Doesn't work. <laughs> you have to eat food. Yeah. Um, but the same. The thing was happening. That's what's happened in farming, is that people 
didn't go to see what was the actual, how does the soil function uh, on a basic level. They just decided to supplement everything. And in Ireland, to be fair, we have great soil. Uh, but still, it's just a matter of, it's ryegrass and nitrogen in Ireland. Typically, that's what it's done. So we have, you know, you're nearly practically a monocrop species of grass plus your chemicals on top, uh, which means that you're feeding the plant from, this, from the top down, which means the root zones never go down the way. Um, and you, you, don't know, you don't know what's happening under the, under the surface of the soil. You, you know, and you don't care. It's just put the, put the supplement on top of the seed. Let it grow lush because we have enough rain and work away at that. But then you start to degrade the soil. And as you degrade it, you, you're going to lose that. Um, you're going to lose all the interesting things that happen in dairy and in, 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 in producing food. Mm-hmm. You start to see that. So I think that's, you know, when I came into this, I came into this industry from a health and fitness background. So I'm used to going away, looking at people and seeing what's the basic thing that's wrong with them. Like, what do we have to fix first uh, to get you healthy? And so to come into the farming industry and go, this kind of looks a little bit broken to me. It's like no one's looking at the soil. Why is nobody addressing what's happening with their soil? So um, we're trying. We're definitely challenging a lot of stuff at the minute. So you're like biohacking the the cows to to be better. Yeah, we are. Yeah, we're, we're making a, a very simple process sound very sexy. So that. <laughs> <laughs> we're not really doing it. like I, I'd like to think, but we're not. We're just kind of looking after what we should look after. Number one is mm-hmm. what's happening under the surface. Yeah, you know. No, and I think yeah. that's fantastic because so with I, I guess that you have to rehabilitate um, patch of grassland then to be able to achieve this. So one thing that you know, obviously, we're an organic company, um, and the, the process of getting soils really healthy means that no chemicals. So it just makes sense to work with organic first. Um, and we, so we decided to register as an organic company. Um, there is a, if you're a conventional farmer, it takes two years to come across and come off of chemicals. So it would take you at least two years. And, and you're going to go through a dip in that production period where you're going to see a fall off in milk production. Mm-hmm. Um, as your grasslands start to dig down, the root system starts to go down to look for nutrients as opposed to being fed on top. Um, and there's a, definitely a large amount of education that has to happen within the system. The systems, though, I think, even with our organic, are still quite fractured. Uh, and how would I, in that, there's a lot of organic farmers, but they're kind of doing their own thing. And they, they just kind of talk to each other, but there's not a general consensus of what's the best practice. So uh, even when we're working with farmers, we farmers have real big, like, hugely different attitudes to how they're doing stuff. Mm. Uh, so there's an education for them as well. Okay. So what I'm hearing here, at least, is that with the difference, again, between your... Um the way that your cows are eating the type of grass versus say other brands is that you're, you're really caring for the soil at a root level and how that grass comes out, which then is going into the cows and then how you're treating the cows. So, which is producing um, a better product. And do yeah, you-, you want to be used, sorry, you just yeah. to jump in there. I, not to cut across, I, I suppose we want to say that you need to be using a large amount of grass species. The biggest, the first one is going to be like a clover. So a clover is a, is a, a legume based grass plant so it has the bacteria in, in that nodule that will convert nitrogen um, and, th- and that's kind of the first step and then from there it's a bigger herbal lay you could be talking 10 20 up to 30 different species of pl- of, uh, of grass okay yeah so you want so the cows enjoy that variety it's good for them yeah yeah, yeah. and talking about cows in the in the world of um paleo you know we, i think if i've got it right um talking about a1 milk and a2 milk too 
Do you, is, is is that a topic even for you? you no, not really. No, not yet. Not yet. No, it's it's too much of a genetic problem that you're getting it, bringing bringing the genes into the herd. That's too much of right now. I think the biggest thing that we're concerned with is what's happening with the soil. So there's so many factors. If you want a farmer to go to once a day milking, you want him to to increase the 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 herbal lay across his his, his farm. You wanted to use a multi-paddock grading system. So you wanted to go in with a tighter, um, like a shorter cattle run on, on a small space for a short period of time. And it's a longer rest. Like there are three big changes for a lot of farmers. Mm. Um, you there's, there's already, so from the genetic side of A2 milk, a lot of Jersey cows, we would use a Jer- what's called a Jersey Holstein cross. So it's half Jersey, half Holstein. And they have the best output for what we look at. Um, They'd have to, like a farmer would have to kind of change his herd up to get specifically an A2 milk. And that's just too much at the minute. Okay. But it, like A2 seems to be quite popular. It seems to be working. Mm-hmm. There's just so many things to change. Yeah. There's so many things to change. Like you like a lot of farmers in Ireland are moving to robotic milking. So they're going on to robots. And we look, we favor a once a day milking program with our, with our cattle, where a robot is 2.7 days or 2.7 times a day. On average does so that make sense yeah it does so it means that the machine is stimulating the others to get milk out of the cows more on a robotic form whereas you're just doing it a once a day and, and and do you think there's a difference then even like if you're saying robotic versus uh i, I don't know it, it, uh, that i'm just thinking even the tactile response on the cow itself when you're actually handling it versus machinery if that's going to change the- no 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 it's the same it's it's, it's the same machine Clamped onto the others to take it out. With the, with the ro with the robots, the um the cow is coming in herself whenever she's feeling pressure on ah, her. Ah, right, okay. So she's just wandering in and coming back out again. So it's up to her really when she wants to be milked more or less. <laughs> so they just tend to kind of do that two point seven times. So um yeah, the well, for once a day though we're getting a, more, a higher concentration of nutrients because the milk is coming out. I think there's a, there's a bit of research we've done in there. In respect to the increased nutrient density, mm-hmm. once a day milking, okay, as opposed to twice a day milking. So yeah, because this is interesting. When when people are looking for the differences between butter brands, um, it is how the the cows are you know raised and milked. So already I can see the difference that your 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 brand is 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 doing once a day to get a higher density nutrient product versus being milked more often in a day. Um, are there and when people look for brands. Um, for uh, butter brands because they're always looking for a hundred percent grass fed. Are butters one hundred percent grass fed if they are meant to be grass fed? Um, no. For the majority of butters, no, they're not. There's no commercial butter out of Ireland that's a hundred percent grass fed. Um, there's probably no. If they are hundred percent grass fed, it's specifically one farmer. Um, and it's just what he wants to do, like because it is quite hard to do completely grass-fed uh you have spring calving and autumn calving herds so a lot of the smaller organic farmers would usually be spring calving which means in ireland um they're they're, they're calving in march Uh, the cow is producing milk up until november and then she needs to dry off so she won't produce any milk then from november like from december january february she's going to have a new calf again in march and then the cycle starts again some farmers will have some calves in april or sorry in august so that they have milk the whole way through the winter but through the winter if you don't have a good stable of grass you're going to be feeding them on concentrates 
So there is a small amount of concentrates in, in practically all, all dairy. It's quite hard to get 100% grass fed. It can be done, and one of our farmers has done it, but um, I think more work needs to be carried out on efficient ways of, of maintaining grass over the winters to supply enough nutrients. Um, and then in typical dairies, meal adds volume. So it's just easy to feed the meal as well. Okay. If you're getting paid, if you're getting paid per liter, it makes more sense to add in that bit of concentrate. There is a cost benefit analysis where how much concentrate will give you an extra liter or two liters of milk. And so when you say concentrate, this is what uh, the, the cow is eating, and then it helps to create more volume of milk that she produces. Yeah. So they'd be fed maybe uh, in a conventional dairy. They're being fed soybean, um, wheat, barley, oats. Uh, like it's a, a ration it's called tmr so it's just a, a, a nut nuts okay. are, are just you know like like a grain it's a, it's a grain-based product so they get a certain amount of that every day as well okay in ireland, in ireland not so much you know we have so much grass during the winter or during the summer so much grass during the summer not so much okay well that's it's good to know because yeah um when i know a lot of people jumped on going oh i only need grass-fed butters but just to be educated well not it, as as we found out not not all butters are well, definitely, the majority are definitely not 100% grass-fed, and it's very difficult to achieve that. So, even your grass-fed brands aren't 100%. No, but I mean, I, I would. I know there's a lot of debate over whether I really get upset about it. And I like an Irish butter or an English butter. They're they're on grass for so long that the, the portion I think is only three percent on conventional dairy here of total feed is is concentrates. So, I mean, by the time it's gone through the cow, I don't know how that would really affect. A lot. Now we we are striving to get a hundred percent grass fed because I think it it looks it, like it has a certain catch on the package. Mm-hmm. But you know we would have I, there's a small amount of concentrate in our feed as well. Okay, and so does that mean also then because uh, the the cow will be eating potentially feed more towards the winter time that if you buy butters at different stages it's it's it can vary quite a lot. Oh yeah, that's it, and that's where you're going to see the color change. So. Your typical European or US butters, I'm not sure you know where they are on the other parts of the world, are indoor head are indoor fed cows, so that's why they're white. So they're being fed mostly concentrates, um, and they have no, they don't have a lot of beta carotene, so the butter isn't yellow. And also, as we get to kind of you know, as that level of concentrate rises up and the grass comes down, beta carotene levels start to drop in the butter, so you're starting to see that cha- color change. So that's where it comes in. So it sounds like egg yolks. So the more yellow, the more orange kind of color, the better, because the higher the better carotene. That's it. Yeah, it's all to do with yellow. So that, Avoid white at all costs. <laughs> so is that one of your top tips then? If uh, if you're not home and you can't get your own butter, that if you were traveling and you wanted to go, and you were looking for a high quality butter, the color is, is a big way to sort of see should you or oh. shouldn't you go for that. Yep, that's it. I, I think the good brands, maybe some of them use a kind of a clear wrap so they because they want to talk about their butter, but I always go for the darkest yellow you can get your hands on. That's the magic right there. And just to make sure, there's no sort of dirty marketing secret where butter companies color their butter, do they? They don't here, and that's a good question. Whether whether they do internationally, I don't know. Yeah. But, uh, I, I'm, uh, and it's only funny because we've we're at the minute having a we're setting up a blockchain traceability system for our butter with a company called Arknet in Ireland um, to just establish authenticity and validation. Um, so we, because I do know there's a lot of food fraud, it's, it's such a bigger and bigger and bigger problem. 
um, out there. So whether that I, I've, I haven't seen that happen, but I don't think you can trust anything in the world. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that's great. So yeah, I, I love that now. So already uh, from a butter education point of view, when I'm traveling, if uh, if I'm in a foreign country and I don't know their brand names, but if I could somehow look at the color of the butter, that uh, hopefully. Yeah, the, a nice dark color is a is a good indicator, right? Hopefully, this is a, a good. It's going to be more nu- more nutritious for me. But yeah, so when we see you on YouTube as the guy, why is he opening packets of butter in a supermarket? Lifting <laughs> 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 over the edges. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, getting thrown out of supermarkets because uh, they think I'm destroying product. No, yeah. no, no, I need to check this. I need to check this. Yeah, just go for the yellow. Let's go for the yellow. Yeah. So uh, how many types of brands of butter? Have you had some of the exotic butters around the world? Um, I mean, when I travel to the States or Europe, it's just standard white butter like President in in France. Yeah, um, I actually wanted to find out about that. Maybe if we could say like President butter. Is that grass-fed butter because it's French or not? No. No, no, no. If it's like that's white. Okay. So that means it's that means there's no grass. Pretty much, it's all concentrates. Okay, but yeah, ca- so they're careful. Mm. And then Kerrygold, that's better because it's. Um, oh yeah, so yeah. like here, our cattle are out nearly 300 days of the year on grass. Mm. So like the difference in like Ireland's Ireland's conventional butter is very, very, very high quality. That's why we sell so much of it mm. internationally. It, like it really is of stunning quality. Um, so. It, Compared to what is out being everywhere else, we it's leagues ahead, mm. um, and I think that's why we have you know it's, it's good to be in this space because there's so many channels already been opened by um, Kerrygold, which is owned by a company called Ornua. So that's the, they've established such a big brand for us internationally. I mean, I even think in America because I'm more familiar with the American market a bit. The you know you see so many Americans buying Kerrygold, but even though they have fantastic small american farmers doing brilliant work the um, ireland's reputation is so strong mm-hmm. that americans constantly had about carry gold and just for me in the dairy industry following american farmers i'm like there's so many really american farmers you should be following like get on to these people like in maybe little creamery and stuff get on to them and uh and talk to them about their butter like they have they could get you some it's amazing uh-huh. so, yeah so it's, it comes back to that concept of uh local locality and then you you are going to have farmers who take care of their product and produce a high quality product like yourself yeah 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 it's just i think we just have it's, it's in ireland it's it's literally volume mm. because we have 140,000 tons that leaves the country every year of golden butter <laughs> very attractive <laughs> i can imagine the customs office is like oh there goes another container <laughs> That's huge. That's huge it really is yeah okay um so with your particular butter at the moment, uh, do you just it's only available in Cork in your locality at the moment? Is it pretty much within a small radius? Yeah, um, manufacturing butter is actually quite expensive, uh, and actually a, as big a challenge as developing soil science, getting butter made is, is is also quite difficult because the thing with making butter is you have a lot of skim milk left over. So when you take in, if I took in a thousand liters of milk. I would take 10% off as cream mm-hmm. and I'm left with 900 liters of skim milk. And mm-hmm. then you have to find uh, an outlet for that 900 liters of skim milk. That 100 liters of cream will give me about 50 kilos of butter. So I don't get a lot of butter, but I end up with a lot of skim. And the the the, the, the question is scale. So at a small scale, it's very expensive. So for us, 
getting started, we can either do it on a very small level, and then then there's a bit of a jump up to a larger level. So it's starting off very small is where the is the key right now. So, because even your skim milk must be a little bit more nutritious than other skim milks, I'm I'm guessing. It would be. I mean, it's higher in protein, um, but where the overall value in it, it doesn't have as much as um, full cream butter would have. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And if just to educate people who might not know, how is butter made? You just stir cream. <laughs> it's not, nothing special. <laughs> Later, if you get a jam jar, get a jar and put um, some cream in there and just start shaking it, you know, in half an hour, you'll have butter. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when, what, what happens is you break the mice. There's a micelle, which is a, um, a membrane that wraps the fat lobules, and you, and you literally break that, just, and it's just by uh, agitation. It's just a mechanical force, shear forces, and that smashes it up, and the and the fat will, will coalesce and stick together. It granulates, and then the and then you also have buttermilk that comes out. So you, you end up with a in your churn, you end up with lovely golden butter um, in, in a big blob, and then you end up with a load of buttermilk. And you take the butter out, uh, buttermilk out, wash it with some cold with some very cold water two or three times, um, and then you have to knead in the salt if you're salting it. And that's it. So it's actually easy to make. <laughs> to be fair, um, all you need is a churn. Anything, anything that will stir will do. Like a home mixer will make it. Yeah, because we've actually done that at home here, where we got some high quality um, cream, where where we were living at the time from a local farmer. And you just, like you said, put it in a jam jar and just shake it, and you keep shaking, and then yep, next thing you have this blob of butter in there. Yeah, <laughs> it's very cool. <laughs> And it always blows people's mind. Is that how it's made? Yeah, that's how it's made. Yeah, that's it. There's nothing to it. People ask me, just, a lot of Irish people ask me, and I'm like, you're from Ireland. How do you, like, <laughs> and it's funny how much we've lost that that simple stuff. Do you know how many how many people have kind of forgotten that? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's easy to make butter. And all, and you were talking about salt there. So most butters have some, some degree of salt in them, do they? Yeah, um, we have 1.8%. So between around one point eight to two percent is kind of where you would be with salt. Okay, and that's just an industry standard that most butter butters use that percentage. Yeah. 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 Do you yeah. do an unsalted butter? Yep, yeah. a small amount of unsalted. Unsalted, yeah. yeah. I do, yeah. Okay. So I mean, the the majority of it will always be salted. I think unsalted, obviously, for the for the coffee. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, even interesting. I, I had a great talk with um, a salt researcher and just saying how yeah, if you drink coffee, I don't know, do you put do you make sure you get enough salt in your day because if you drink coffee then you're actually you're wasting a lot of salt yeah and it was that's james isn't it james, yes it is yeah Unique yeah, antonio yeah yep um because i was I was going to attempt his last name <laughs> uh, <laughs> no i follow him a lot on twitter actually um so and, and and since following him so much on twitter i've just drastically increased my salt intake yeah yeah because uh, so, I, I drink too much coffee i drink way too much coffee it's good stuff uh, i think yeah it's gorgeous <laughs> and i think that was probably some of my problems with my own cramping issues um so i think that i you know adding in the salt made a big difference mm-hmm. so even talking about salt there do you do you even look at uh, the type of salt you put in your buck- butter um not really we just use industry standard okay like we have we could there is a call whether we we'll change it to a sea salt but um at the minute it's just whatever the manufacturing co- person the company that we work with mm-hmm. that they made that they use yeah okay yeah, because uh, I guess even that's what I learned with um, with James is you know your variety of salts would be, and especially because you're making an artisan product, I guess you could you could if there was potential, you could play with even the salts in there as a sellable point, maybe. 
Yeah, you probably could do. I think that we try not to detract too much. We have three USPs on the front of the packet, um, and that's about as much as it can handle. Okay. So the first one is is we try to make sure that it's uh, K2. S- sorry, for anyone listening, that USP is a un- unique selling point. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we, we, we have a, about a roll that goes into a box, and, and it's a hexagonal-shaped box. And then we try to communicate that it's organic, that it's got vitamin K2, and that it's grass-fed. And they're the three things that we try to communicate on the box. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and Irish to a certain degree. I think that comes across though in, in the grass-fed side of things. So you like you don't want to get you don't want to be confusing the consumer too much with putting too much on there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but I think I think further down the line, it, like there's probably some room to do what you said, which is find some interesting salts to work with and see if we get some interesting you know NPD or new product development. Mm-hmm. There. <laughs> you can see you've been in the industry for a while. You've got the acronyms yeah. down. <laughs> Starting to get them. Yeah. Have you made ghee with your product yet? And that's an interesting question because we've been approached last week by um, by a very interesting woman up in Galway who's um, asked us to make ghee for her, um, and then we're going to start doing that. I think in the next few weeks, uh, we're going to do some ghee trials. So, uh, would, would, would the process of making the ghee, do you think that would disturb the vitamin K two level? As far as I know, it's heat stable. Okay. So it should like if you're not, it's goose if you put it in your coffee. So uh, <laughs> no, I think it should be fine. Okay. All right. It's 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 associated with the fat. I haven't seen any data to say that it wouldn't that it would be affected by heat. Mm-hmm. Fine. So we're definitely going to um to have a go at some ghee. So, just uh, I guess coming up to the end here now. We uh, you've you've been fascinating just learning about butter. Um, I love it. And um, is there any chance that if someone lived outside of Ireland, they could get hold of your product? Uh, is there any do you know shipping wise? Would you be able to ship even to uh, the UK? Oh, to the UK for sure. We can you can ship to the UK. Yep, we can. Um, I don't know how. I think uh, we haven't really looked into de- to developing the D, which is called direct consumer market, uh, but it is on our map to do that uh, to set up a shipping because some people do do it, um, and you can get stuff shipped twenty four hours. It just means you got to pack it properly. Hmm. Um, and it will go to the to the UK certainly, and probably into Europe. Um, outside of that, I don't know if it would. It'd be extremely expensive. I don't think it'd be worth yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, you but sorry, the UK would be fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess once your brand is blowing up, and then you can export to anywhere in the world. Well, Germany, like we 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 uh, we want to export to Germany in 2018. That's our target market. Um, Do they eat a lot of butter? They ate. They spent 70 million euro on organic butter last year. Okay, so they're born of the, so Germany loves organic butters. Yep, beyond anybody else, they're the biggest importer of Irish butter. So they take thirty five thousand tons of our butter. So they're the largest single importer of our butter. That's conventional butter, um, and they spent seventy million on organic butter. And there is no Irish organic butter to serve them. So I think those two numbers mean there's an opportunity for me in in Germany. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, you tick, <laughs> you take organic and you take Irish butter. Yeah, it seems to be a winner. I hope, hope I just have to. So we have to get ourselves, we have to get all the other things kind of tidied up. Um, uh, but that's our first market. And, you know, it's in euros. There's, it's an open trade agreement. It's brilliant. Typically, people in our situation would normally go to the UK first because the language barrier isn't there. You know, it's, it's an English speaking country. Um, it's an easy country from a trade perspective. But with Brexit happening, we as a startup, or as a startup, I'm just 
not willing to gamble on what will happen there. Mm. To me, Germany is easier option. So even though we have a language thing, I think Germany is where we'll focus, number one, and then California, number two. So mm. Germany and California. Okay. So are there any particular points you would still like to highlight about butter maybe that we haven't touched on today? I mean, there's lots of things going on in butter. Uh, that, that, you know, I suppose we, we hopefully will start talking more about CLA, conjugated lactic acid in the future. Um, the vitamin E level is quite high. The vitamin A level is quite high. Um, what else is there about butter? So, so all those other vitamin levels, then you, that, that varies too between brands is what you're saying? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now we have, I have done a lot of research into how much, I just know that we're, we, we have a good amount of vitamin E on, and vitamin A on our butters. Um, well, I can imagine because vitamin K is a fat soluble vitamin, and if you're raising that, then the other fat solubles should also be influenced in some way, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Vitamin D is probably only going to come up really once the cow is out in sunshine. We don't mm-hmm. see a lot of vitamin D if we were like when the cow comes out in the winter time. We wouldn't see a huge amount of vitamin D in the if she comes out of housing. You wouldn't see a huge amount of vitamin D in it. It'll peak better, better in the summer. That sounds like uh, getting into quantum uh, with Jack Cruz and you know giving the giving the cows some some sunlight to, to raise their <laughs> easy water. <laughs> don't, don't worry if anyone doesn't understand what I'm talking about at the moment. I'll, I'll hopefully get Jack on the show at one some stage okay. to talk about that stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's when you get serious about your butter when you start putting yeah. it out in the sunlight, or you put the cow out in the sunlight to make sure that yeah. it gets uh, all yeah. these different health benefits. Like it's still a, a cow is still a, a mammal. It still has the same function as we do. So I think we have to always look at it like that perspective as well. Yeah, which, which is exactly what you've educated us today. It's saying, you know, how you take care of the cow from the food it eats to, yeah, even its levels of sunshine. Just treat it well and, and it will produce a good, healthy product. Yeah, and I think, we're, I think we, to come back to the grass, we're only really getting a hand. We're starting to... and pun intended here to, to break the surface on the cow's interaction with the top layer of soil and if that top layer of soil is very healthy and has a high mineral content what will that do for the health of the cow and what will that do for the health of the food that the cow is producing mm-hmm. um, and those questions haven't been asked as far as i can see so i think we have a lot of interesting new science to, to, to work with there mm. cool so um kevin what's the best way for people to follow you keep in contact with the company and and what you grow Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook. So, I mean, across most of the platforms, it, it, I, we want to try and get that story out about the, the magic of grass. Um, and I suppose, like, my, I want to try and get the, the story out that the grass is the, is the uh, and the dairy cow is the answer to everything from climate change to feeding the world. So, uh, we'll be talking about that story in detail across all those platforms. I think the magical thing about social media is that it allows us to get our story to people who are really interested really quickly well that's how i found uh, you yeah it's brilliant it's it's an amazing you know and, and i think the, the young people the younger generation are very like you i suppose if you can call them millennials they're an amazing interesting group of people because they're so active and they're driving so much change mm-hmm. uh, which for us means that we can as a small company grow really quickly if your message is honest and true so so what yeah so when i'm when i'm tweeting out or facebook um sharing uh pictures of me with my anu dairy butter that yeah. that helps to promote your brand it does, yeah. <laughs> for sure it does i think you know people like yourself who's doing so much work in in that space of of kind of getting a really good message out there like that 
obviously connects to more people to say, well, look, this is really interesting. Mm. So it brings people into the story. Mm. Well, I, I hope um, I'm going to get a chance to taste your butter because I, you know, I just, I don't live very far from you. Well, I'm not in Ireland, but I'm on the Isle of Man at the moment. So it is. Oh, shippable. nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just across and there's a lot of the same thing. I look out my window here and there's just grass. So <laughs> yeah, cows, cows are the same here. Is there any local organic farmers there? Is there organic farming on the Isle of Man? Um, organic not too sure because uh, there's a bit of a dairy monopoly over here too there's only one dairy um oh. milk producer who who monetizes everything so um there's there's a bit of a a, a closed in system over here on that but but we have local milk uh delivered from a from a separate dairy so uh okay. maybe I, I could find out if they're organic i don't think they are okay yeah Cool. Well, send me on your address and I'll get you over some butter. No oh, worries. I would love it. Like I said, I go through the stuff. Uh, the whole family okay. does. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Great. Uh, but Kevin, I'm going to link to all of these uh, resources in the show notes so people can follow you and I would highly recommend. Um, and if you're in Ireland, please just uh, get some of Kevin's butter. I, I, I love helping local farmers and people like yourself who are, you know, promoting better for the world and better for all of us in health wise. So I think it's uh, it's a fantastic story. And thank you so much for sharing it today. Super, thanks, Gary.